Right, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. Uh, while you're doing that, <clears throat> uh, I'm just going to pass this on. I, I know uh, the Bobos went to a, a funeral Friday, uh, as did we, for somebody else. Um, <clears throat> Uh, so especially in light of today, I, I would encourage everybody, and I don't remember who said this, I, I heard it a long time ago, um, but they said, make sure you go to every wedding and every funeral you possibly can during your life. Uh, so uh, I would pass that on and encourage you to do that as well. Uh, <clears throat> so we're going to do First uh, John uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Uh, if you would stand... Uh, for the reading of God's Word. We do this uh, to understand that this part comes uh, straight from uh, the Lord. Uh, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments." And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not, only, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood." And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. God, we thank you for this uh, word. Uh, we thank you for this time together. I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, uh, understand what you have set before us, uh, and bless uh, this time of reading and teaching today. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> All right, so today, uh, today is Do You Believe? Okay? Do you believe? Uh, there's not a whole lot of blanks to fill in. Um, it's just kind of open, uh, and part of this is going to be um, up to you on what you write down, okay? Uh, so the first part here, uh, we read about here, uh, is do you believe in the Spirit, okay? Uh, do you believe in the Spirit? Uh, our kids uh, do, there's all kinds of catechism questions out there, uh, but our kids do what's called the, the children's catechism. Uh, so if I say, uh, what is God? Hopefully, in their brains, an answer comes in, uh, and it says, God is a spirit and has not a body like man. Okay? Uh, so, so what is a spirit? It's something that we cannot see, right? 
Uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So just because we cannot see the Spirit does not mean that the Spirit is not there. I can't see air, I can't see atoms, I can't see a lot of things. It doesn't mean they don't exist, okay? You can't see love, but we kind of figure it's there, okay? Uh, so, because of that, in verse 1, we look at this and say, if you believe the Spirit, what does it say in verse 1? It says that you are going to love others, okay? Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So if we understand and believe that there is a Spirit, it's going to manifest itself by loving other people, okay? All right. So if we are supposed to love God, keep His commandments, John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Interesting part here that uh, is pretty convicting for me is what did you notice that it said here about keeping the commandments? Did you listen when we were reading that? It said it's not burdensome. Okay? It's not burdensome. What does that mean? People from the outside look at Christianity a lot of times, and what do they see? They see this list of rules, right? They say, oh, I don't want to follow those. I want to do all this other stuff. But what does that say? What does that show that we would understand, too, is that our hearts are where? They're over here, apart from God. But if our hearts are in God, what happens to those commandments? They end up not being burdensome. Now, is it perfection? Obviously not, right? Paul talks about battling the Spirit, battling that flesh, okay, as we try to get into more and more every day the Spirit of God. But it says the commandments are not burdensome. Are the commandments burdensome for you? Okay? Because they're not supposed to be. Is it hard to fight the sin in your flesh to keep those commandments? Yes. But the commandments themselves being burdensome, that's something different. Jesus was actually led by the Spirit into the wilderness, right? Everybody remembers this. Okay, we look at the Spirit here and we think, oh, the Spirit is always wants what's best for us. Yes, okay, but what we think is best for us and what God knows is best for us sometimes are two separate things. Jesus was led by the Spirit. This was in Matthew 4, okay? I have an idea in my life what is best for me, okay? what I think God should have laid out in front of me, and what happens? A lot of times it ends up being something else, okay? The Spirit led Christ Himself into the wilderness to what? To be tempted. Is that where you want to get led? <laughs> it's not really where I want to get led, right? But that's what the Spirit did for Jesus, led him into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, we pray, God, lead us not into temptation, right? We pray that in the Lord's Prayer. Because we are fallen, right? We have that understanding that we might fall into that temptation. But we think, hey, this is where we need to go. Don't send me over here. Send me this way. But the Spirit is God. The Spirit knows where we are supposed to go. 
The Spirit is also a witness to Jesus and His Father's love for us. This is in verse 6. The Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. We are surrounded today by so many things that are claiming to be truth. The Spirit is the truth. The Spirit's the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. Now, if I truly, fully, wholeheartedly, completely believed in the Spirit, if you fully, wholeheartedly, completely believed in the Spirit, what would that look like? This part down here where it says A underneath each one of these, there's not something that I'm looking for you to fill in from this sermon, okay? This part is for you. What would that look like if you totally and completely believed that the Spirit was there? If I truly believed in the Spirit, I would trust God with that truth, okay? If the Spirit is truth, I would trust God with that truth. Not my circumstances, not what I see around me, not when I see people that I have to go to their funeral, right? My circumstances, not what I see, not my understanding, but I would trust God with everything. If I really believed in the Spirit, if I really believed that the Spirit was truth, I would trust beyond my own understanding, because that's what we're consumed with now, right? After the Enlightenment, right? We said, hey, just convince me, show me, right? I need to figure it out. I need to see how this works, what's happening. Then I will believe, right? That is not what we are called to do, right? What are we called to do? We see the Spirit, and the Spirit is truth, even when we can't actually see it. John uh, chapter 3, uh, everybody remember Nicodemus, right? Uh, Nicodemus, the, the teacher that came to, go to see Jesus at night, right? Because uh, he didn't want anybody else seeing him, but came to see Jesus, and uh, Jesus was telling him how to be born again, right? And he said, how can that be? I'm a grown man, right? My mom's over here. That's not happening physically, Okay. And so Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We have to be born by the Spirit. Okay? But what else did he say there? Unless born, one is born of water and the Spirit. So that's the second one here that's in our passage too. Do you believe in the water? Okay? Now, water is ubiquitous, right? It's everywhere. H2O, it's all the same all over the planet and outside of our planet if, you know, it's there. But H2O, it's always water. It's always there. We see it every day. Water's pretty crazy, though. I don't want to get too sidetracked on science here, right? Who gets, rolls their eyes if I continually talk about science? Uh, but it is amazing, okay? And we can talk about water later if you want, Okay? I'll, I'll talk about it all day long, okay? But just because we see it every day, it is very, very amazing, okay? Nothing else on the planet acts like it, 
okay? So right now, just take my word for it, and I'll talk to you later about it if you want, okay? But the water itself, okay, there is something special about water, but it's not magical, right? It's not like uh, we, can, we can put it on something and it changes, right? Uh, so water is not magic, but when we talk about this, when we say, okay, he, he who came by the water, right? There's something about water here. What's he talking about? Because he's not just talking about drinking water. What's he talking about? Okay, so... Point two here, do you believe in the water? There's something special about baptism, right? There's something about it. That's why our, our catechism question today was about baptism, okay? This is how he initiated disciples, right? This is how disciples came into being was uh, baptism. Uh, Martin Luther had this uh, great quote, there is on earth no greater comfort than baptism. Think about that. No greater comfort than baptism. What is this? It's the sign of an old covenant, right? So the old covenant, this uh, circumcision, showing our sinful flesh that we have to get rid of, and it was looking forward to Christ, right? So that was that, that sign looking forward. But then Christ initiates, we, we have baptism now, right? We have John baptizing people. We have baptism that, that instead of getting rid of that sinful flesh, what are we doing? Now it's that cleansing and looking back to what Christ has done, okay? So in the Old Testament, we had to look forward, but in the New Testament, now we get to look back. It's all centered on Christ. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, them in him. This is what baptism is, right? There's something about it. It's, it's not just getting wet, okay? It's not just the water. There's something about it. Regardless of when baptism is administered, Everybody agrees there's something powerful. There is no guarantee that this recipient, from our perspective, is part of God's elect and their heart has been truly claimed by God, right? That's what the catechism question points out, right? What does it say? That we're, because of that, admitted to the visible church, right? The church we can see, the church that is here and meeting all over today, okay? We're admitted to the visible church through baptism, but only God can admit to the invisible church, right? The real church, who truly belongs to him. But at the same time, it's more than a bath. It's more than a ceremony. It's something we were told to do for a reason, okay? Even Jesus was baptized, right? Matthew 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came to Galilee, from Galilee, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. 
John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus did not just do this because he was supposed to. Okay, It wasn't because he needed a bath. Why did Jesus do this? Because it was to fulfill all righteousness. There is something about baptism we do not understand. Fulfilling all righteousness. And that spirit, okay, obviously Jesus had the spirit in some sense already. He's the son of God. And we saw this earlier in his life when he's teaching and preaching in the temple as a boy, right? But this is where we get to see the spirit descending on him, right? Is when he gets baptized. There is something about baptism. Water was used for cleansing, still is today, for showing our sins being washed away from our bodies. So Numbers, uh, starting in uh, chapter 8, verse 5. Again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the sons of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them for their cleansing. Sprinkle purifying water on them, and let them use a razor over their whole body and wash their clothes, and they will be clean. Okay? He didn't even mention anything about soap, right? <laughs> okay? It's just the water. Okay? That, that water has that symbolism for cleanliness. So here we go. If you truly believed in the water, the power of that baptism what would your life look like? What, would, what difference would it make in your life? Okay? If you fully, truly, wholeheartedly understood what that meant, how would that change you? I would hate sin. Okay? If I understood that cleansing power of baptism, I would hate sin with every fiber of my being. If I understood that cleansing power, I would hate it. I would run from it. I would fight it. I would moment by moment seek to purge it from my existence. I would not be afraid to confront that sin in others in a loving way. I would look at sin and not dismiss it. I would say that has to leave because I have been washed in the water. The third one that John's talking about here, do you believe in the blood? Now, we live in this whitewashed society nowadays where a lot of people don't like even the sight of blood, right? Uh, you, you talk to them about processing or something and and they get all squeamish and say, you know, we're, we're not used to this anymore, right? We're not used to seeing blood on a daily basis, okay? Uh, most people. But this was an everyday occurrence for people, right? 
in, in times past, you had to eat. And when we're talking about Old Testament, sacrifices were involved, okay? So water and blood were both used in ceremonial cleansing of the Old Testament of persons and things. So we're going back to Leviticus chapter 16. It tells about the process of sacrificing on the Day of Atonement, okay? I, somebody, I don't remember who, I stood up here and, and preached about the, the two goats a while back. Does everybody remember this? Uh, we, on the Day of Atonement, uh, they, had, they had two goats, okay? Uh, and whoever was preaching talked about the scapegoat, right? Uh, where that, uh, the sins were ceremonially laid on that scapegoat, and what happened to that goat? It got released into the wild, right? So our sins being taken away, okay? But what happened to the other goat? Anybody remember? This is the one that we forget about, okay? So the second, well, sorry, the first one, the second one was the one sent off. The first one, it was killed without our sins being put onto it, okay? It was killed in its own transgressions, okay? Because it's fallen, it's part of our sinful world, it paid its own penalty, and because of that, what did they do with the blood? That they did with a lot of the blood for a lot of these ceremonies is it was sprinkled on the mercy seat and the altar to cleanse them, okay? Now, most of us, especially the moms in here, are like, you sprinkle blood on something, that ain't clean, <laughs> okay? But what are we talking about here? Water was that, that cleansing, that washing away of sin, right? But does that, does that work, right? This blood, this blood right here, came from the animal who was in its own transgressions, its blood got put on there saying, paid, paid, paid. Okay? So at the death of Christ, what happened? Okay? There's a lot of things going on. But at the death of Christ, do you remember what happened with the spear? Okay? They pierced his side. And I read this as a kid, and I thought, this is so weird. What happened when they pierced his side? What came out? Water and blood. Why? Why? What does that do? Both of those are needed for cleansing. Okay? We need to cleanse and we need to justify. Okay? The water for cleansing, that blood is that justification. Okay? Do you believe that only blood can wash away your sins? Do you believe that? Or are we under the impression that I can just change clothes? I can put my own clean clothes on, right? Or perhaps my clothes aren't that dirty, okay? But what does God tell us? He said, we come before him in filthy rags. We cannot do it on our own. While water cleansed us from that sin, we are still under punishment for those sins, that, that human sinful nature that we inherited from. That law must be fulfilled and that penalty must be paid. This is the ransom for our lives, right? This is, this is that uh, verse we read earlier. It's that, that debt that had to be paid, right? That penalty has to be paid. You cannot just let that go, okay? God is just. He cannot just let that go. What 
would happen if you truly believed in the blood? What would your life look like? What would your life look like if you really believed in the blood? If I really believed, my worship would look a little different. I would see God for what he has done for me. I would realize that this is way, way far beyond the worship that I am currently giving him right now. I would, I would be able to forgive other people no matter what they did to me. If I understood the penalty paid for my sins, if I understood my sins, it, did, it wouldn't matter what anybody else did to me. I would still be able to forgive them. And that's what we see in Christ. If I truly believed, I would be able to say wholeheartedly what we finished singing a little bit ago. This is all my hope. This is all my peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I don't find it in anything else. Just the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Every bit of it. Nothing else. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We have one more, and we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to go ahead and ask Cody and Colby to come up uh, and start passing out the Lord's Supper. For point four, this is the last thing that he talks about here. The other thing, do you believe in Jesus Christ? This is the fourth one. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? If you do, you have been born of God. That's what he talks about here. You have been born of God and you are offered to partake in the Lord's Supper. This is not perfection. Perfection is not required. We keep talking about this. None of the disciples were perfect, right? He instituted the Lord's Supper to a bunch of imperfect guys that he knew were not going to stand by him. Okay? But at the same time, we are called not to partake in an unworthy manner. We're not just taking this and saying, oh, it's a little snack before lunch. Oh, this is just because God told us to do this, so we just have to do it. What would this look like if you truly believed in Jesus? If you truly believed that he was the Christ do y'all realize that when he did this, Judas was still there at the table? When he instituted the Lord's Supper, the one that would betray him was sitting right there, right? He said, the one that dips his hand in there with me is the one who's going to betray me. He knows, and he still gave him the supper. Isn't that crazy? That's forgiveness, he knowingly washed all 12 disciples' feet before they even sat down. Knowing that they're all, in one way or another, going to desert him. Knowing that. Could I do that? If I truly believe in Jesus, could I do that? When you are a believer in Jesus, 
He says, verse 11, look at verse 11. You have the testimony in yourself. Okay? Verse 11 says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. If you truly believe in Jesus, you have Him inside you. He is the testimony. When people say, come give your testimony, what does that mean? Talk about Jesus. <laughs> That's what that means. It's all about Jesus. That's what the testimony is. And he says, you have the testimony inside you. You have that eternal life and the life is in his son. If I truly believed in Jesus Christ, my life would look like fill in the blank. If you really did, like wholeheartedly, fully, no doubts, 100%, all day, every day, what would your life look like? I would have a heavenly perspective. It is not about this world. This is not it. We're, we're going to have our own funeral if Jesus doesn't come back. We're not going to stay here. This is not home. And what does that do to what happens to me every single day? Does it matter as much? Do I need to go for this and this and this? Or do I need to maybe focus on this? Worries and cares of this world would have no power at all. I would see every gift and blessing for what it is. Even the trials, right? Even the trials. What does it say? Count it all joy. That's what it would look like if we really, really believed in Jesus. Every single thing that happened to you counted as joy. Every single thing that happened, say, I'm a sojourner, I'm a pilgrim, I'm here for a little bit, but this is not what it's about. That's what my life would look like. It would not be about this world. It is so easy to make every day about this world, but it is not about what we see around us. It is not about this world. This is why he gave us this Lord's Supper, is to help us remind it that it is not about this world. This comes from Matthew 26. It said, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take Eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> 